0: I'm Julie Van Warmer, and you're listening to Unshaken, a podcast of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church. Hey, just a couple things before we head into today's episode. First off, I just want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out, and then you get notifications when new episodes drop, and you are not going to want to miss any of the episodes because there's so many good things to talk about. And also, don't forget to head over to Facebook and join our Facebook page, Unshaken Podcast. And uh, this is a great place to dialogue about what you're learning and what you're listening to and what topics you want to hear on the Unshaken Podcast. This is also the only place that we do giveaways. So if you love to get things free, this is the only place that you can join in on those giveaways. So make sure you follow us. and. Uh, Join in when we have a giveaway, which will come out again. A new giveaway will happen in September of 2021 for season five. That's when season five will kick off. Also, I just wanna remind you that we are also doing kind of something special in June and July. We are doing some book chats, focused on the book, How To Be Free From Bitterness. This book was mentioned four times in season three, and I really felt like it would be really good for us to stop, pause, read it through, and talk about it. So I invited my friend Erica Simpson to join me each week and we have already begun these fabulous little 20 minute episodes. So I hope you follow with us. Um, You can grab that book at any online bookstore but also you can usually find a free PDF of it if you'd rather go that route. Um, And it's just a really good book. It's super practical and very helpful when you're dealing with a lot of things beyond just bitterness. So don't think it's just if you are struggling with bitterness, there's a lot in there. Today in season four, we are already in episode seven, which is crazy because we usually do about 12 episodes a season. And here we are already halfway through, more than halfway through. And if you've been following along, you know we've been talking about a bunch of different ways that you and I can live out our faith each and every day. Last week, we spent some time talking with Renee Dries on the topic of reading your Bible. She gave us some really great tips and suggestions and a lot of encouragement on how to read your Bible when to read your Bible, where to read your Bible, where to start in the Bible, and how to do it even if you're busy because honestly we are all busy. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did and I hope that it was motivating to you and I I guess I felt like we should continue with this theme today. So we're going to be listening today to a new episode, a pre-recorded talk given by Julie Morgan at the 2016 regarding Him Women's Conference. This year the theme was called Daughters of the King. So this particular talk is called the warrior raising the sword. Now, obviously, you know I'm not talking about a real warrior, right? I'm not talking about a real sword. Maybe you remember being a little girl if you grew up in the church and you probably did a sword drill. I know I did lots of these. And you would hold your Bible high in the air and your teacher would call out a verse and you would. she'd say, draw your swords, right? And you'd charge and you'd pull it down. You'd open your Bible and begin frantically searching for that one verse to stand up and read out loud. If you have been around church a while, you probably have done a sword drill. So the sword that I'm talking about obviously is the Bible. I tell you, it really motivated me to get to know my Bible better when I was Uh, elementary student and junior high student because I wanted to win those sword drills Um, and actually it's a really good habit to build if you have children now to help them find things in the Bible to look up the books of the Bible to take their Bible to church those are all really good and today Julie Morgan is going to walk us through how you and I can use the Bible not just have a Bible, right? Not just have it sitting on our bookshelf, but to actually use it and how to use it and where to jump in. So, hey, let's head right into this talk given by Julie Morgan, The Warrior Raising the Sword.
1: My name is Julie. They asked me to do this talk sometime in spring, and I kind of looked at them like, why but um, when they asked me they said because I love God's word and I applied God's word in my life in some um, crazy situations and we all have crazy situations so I'll share a little bit about myself as we go through but don't compare your situation to mine because you likely will not be called to the things that I've been called to I have sent a child to heaven from leukemia and these crazy of curls on my head is because I also went through breast cancer treatment while I was pregnant. So, having done all that, I've really taken God's word and applied it to my life. I'm gonna start with prayer and then I'll begin. I think my people are in Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this day that we can get away and we can focus on you. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts to hear your truth. I pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but doers. That we would live in obedience to you. Father, work through my mouth. Keep it from saying things you don't want me to say. And Father, I pray that you would open people's ears, that they would hear only the things that you have for them. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, I want to start by telling you a story about two knights. Our first knight comes from a long line of famous knights. He grew up hearing stories of famous battles, and he played with practice swords as a child, and always assumed that someday he, too, would become a knight. Intellectually, he knew how to use his sword, deflect his enemy's blows, and fight for his king. However, he trusted in his great heritage too much, and never really spent much time putting into practice the things he knew in his head. His sword sat in the corner of his house collecting dust because he so rarely picked it up to practice with it. After all, the kingdom was at peace. The second knight really wasn't a knight at all, but he was a stable boy who dreamed of becoming something more. Every day, he would work hard in the king's stable, and then at night, he would steal away to the forest to practice with an old, battered sword he had found, discarded. After years of diligently practicing at night, <laughs> he became a rather
2: talented defender.
1: Well, one day, there was a surprise attack on the castle, and the second knight grabbed his trusty sword that he spent so much time with and dashed off to defend the castle of the king. He was confident that he could defeat the enemy because he knew the power of his sword and his ability to wield it effectively. The first knight also valiantly wanted to serve his king. So he ran to his house and had to search for what corner he left his sword in. And... You didn't
2: hear that.
1: What corner he left his sword in Then he had to dust it off. And then he ran off to help fight for his king. Only to get there, just as the stable boy slayed the enemy. He was shocked. The stable boy? But the stable boy's love for his king and his diligent practice with his sword made him a more effective warrior. And the first knight realized too late that faithful action is required in true service to our king. Now, I'm sure you all saw through my very thinly veiled story and my word that we're to be like the stable boy. We are the lonely boy with a powerful sword at our fingertips. And we need to love and serve our king. But our king is not the king of medieval Europe, but the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. And our sword is not formed of metal, but formed out of the very words of God. <laughs> we are to love our king, as the stable boy did, learn to use our sword, God's word, effectively, and live in honor and obedience to our king. So I want to encourage us in those three things today. And if you're like me and you have to fill out little things on your form and take notes, My three points are, here it is, you ready? Number one, we need to love God's word. Number two, we need to learn God's word. And number three, we need to live in obedience to God's word. So first of all, loving God's word. The Bible claims and is the word of God. It's not just an ordinary book, but it is God speaking in written form. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So I want to examine that a little bit closer. First of all, it says all scripture. While the context of the passage refers to Old Testament scriptures Timothy was taught as a child, it can be inferred from other New Testament passages to include all scripture. All 66 books the Old Testament, the New Testament, and that little verse you've never liked. It's all <laughs> inspired. They were all written by different human hands, but all came from a divine origin men moved by the spirit of God we should therefore expect to see a cohesive and unified story across the different books of the Bible and in fact there is one the entire Bible tells the story of God working to draw a wayward people to himself through his son Jesus from creation to the end of the age from Genesis to Revelation secondly Look at the word inspired. And just so you know, like the second Timothy is on your little top right sheet. So if you want to underline or highlight or whatever, it's there. The word inspired. The Greek word is theopnostos. And I cannot pronounce that, but that's what it is. <laughs> and there's two roots in there theo, which is where we get our words theocracy, a government ruled by religious leaders, and theology, the study of God. And it actually means God. And the other root is pneumo, and it's the base of the word pneumonia, a disease of the lungs, or pneumatic, pertaining to air or other gas. And it means breath. So theognosis is God's breath. The 2nd Timothy passage says that all scripture is God's breath, or God breathed. A more literal translation would be that it is God's expiration, which is the opposite of inhalation it's breathed out from the very being of God therefore scripture is not just God inspiring men to write inspiring literature but it's God breathing his own word out through man under the power of the Holy Spirit the origin of scripture is not man but God and because scripture comes directly from an almighty and perfect God, scripture in its original form is holy without error and infallible ponder that for just a minute the god of the universe saw fit to provide us with a book that he himself offers the king of kings and lord of lords has given us a manual that teaches us about god about jesus and what god requires of man it is a treasure trove of wisdom that points us to god himself it is a way in which we can read the mind of God, revealed. How amazing is that? We can read God's brief words, translated into our own language, and learn more about the ultimate ruler of the whole universe. And we can trust that what we read is truth. In a world full of shifty truths, God's word stands alone as a rock upon which we can put our trust. Second Timothy goes on to say. That scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Not only has God given us a book that he himself authored, that allows us to know God, but we are told that scripture is helpful to us, and in many ways. First of all, scripture profits us by teaching us the things of God and drawing us to God in the first place. Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing from the word of God. God's word is what gives us faith. It makes us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus, Second Timothy 3, 15. We ought to love God's word for giving us the knowledge of him, for giving us faith, for saving us through Christ, all through the power of His Word. Scripture also instructs us in truth regarding sin, love, marriage, children, who we are, and who God is. Second, Scripture reproves us, which means to reveal areas in our lives that are sinful, that are not conforming to the will of God. By being made aware of our sins, we are driven to seek the cure and turn to the cross for salvation to be made right with God. Third, Scripture profits us by correction, or by writing (coughs) our wrong thoughts, (coughs) emotions, behaviors, and or beliefs. Scripture corrects us and causes us to change our paths and believe what is taught in His Word. Fourth, Scripture causes us to grow, or to be trained in righteousness and our relationship to God. Scripture is the means by which we come to know God and also how we grow and mature in our faith. And the last thing from 2 Timothy is that Scripture is what actually equips us for every good work God has given us to do. As Scripture teaches, reproves, corrects, and trains us, we are being equipped for the work that God has given us. If we aren't spending time in Scripture, then we aren't equipped for what he has given us to do. It would be like a gardener without a spade, or a surgeon without a scalpel, or a knight without his sword. <coughs> God has given us the very means, his word, by which we will be equipped for our work. So be in it. I would be remiss in talking about loving God's word if I didn't mention Psalm 119. It's an amazing Hebrew poem that is dedicated to the love and the power of God's Word. I would encourage you to read it, but I actually didn't pick it to go through with you today because it's long. <laughs> but it's good. But it's long. Psalm 119 says that God's Word will bless those who walk in it, keep us pure and from sin, counsel us. Revive us. Revive a weary soul. Sustain us. Feed a hungry spirit. Strengthen the grieving. Comfort the afflicted. Give insight, wisdom, and understanding. Strengthen us. Give us hope, joy, song, praise, help, cause us to meditate on God's wonders, give us an awe of God, cause us to fear His judgment, and give us a light to our past God's word
2: is profitable
1: and powerful indeed so love God's word because it is amazing open God's word and expect to hear the voice of God be awed by the fact that God breathes out His word through human hands so that we might know Him His word profits us it gives us faith and salvation It teaches us about God, trains us in righteousness, equips us for the work we are given, and revives our very soul. Thank the Lord for giving us this treasure. And God's word is like a treasure chest. Upon opening the lid and glancing at the top, you'll easily see all sorts of wonderful things. Pearls of wisdom, golden truth, precious stones of promise, And if you dig deeper, you'll find even more riches and jewels. And as you dig still more, you'll soon realize that God's Word, His treasure chest, has no bottom. It is limitless. (coughs) So, we are commanded to do the hard work of digging into God's Word and not being content with the jewels on top. We are commanded. To grow and mature in our faith. <laughs> Second Timothy three fourteen, which is just before these verses, Paul tells Timothy to continue in the sacred scriptures he learns as a child. We're not just to read the scriptures once and call it good. We are to continue in them. We need to be diligent to handle accurately the word of truth. Second Timothy two fifteen. And to move from a young faith to a mature one. To do that, we must diligently learn God's word. But how? So those of you taking notes, we just moved from loving God's word to... Learning! Learning. Thank you! (laughs) Okay. So, there are four ways by which we can learn God's word. Reading, meditating, memorizing, and studying. And the one prerequisite to all of them, which is prayer. These are not steps in a progression, but each is a means of learning God's Word and storing it in your heart and should be used regularly. Anytime we approach God's Word, it's necessary to begin with prayer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Ask God to give you wisdom to understand the Scriptures, to see the wonderful things in His Word, and to be obedient to what's in it. There are multiple Scriptures to guide your prayer. I often, when I open God's Word, Pray Psalm twenty five, which says, Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and on you I wait all the day. Start your time in God's Word by getting your heart in the right place. Open to seeing God's truth in the Bible. So once you prepare God, you prepare your heart, you're gonna to want to read god's word to give an overview of the whole bible and i do mean god's word Devotionals, good christian blogs, and bible commentaries can be helpful and have their place but they are someone else's perspective about god's word you need to read god's word itself where do you begin my answer to that depends on who you are and who you ask So, there are hundreds of Bible reading plans available, each has a slightly different twist. The main goal should be that you strive to read the entire Bible by completing each of the 66 books. The breast approach is an organized one that has you read systematically through different books of the Bible, and not just randomly pick out passages. When you have a systematic approach, you'll be able to have continuity in your reading and understand the context
2: of the passage.
1: One really easy method to do this, take the number of pages in your Bible, divide it by 365, and read about that many pages a day. Not hard, but it works. Um, Another method, there's tons of Bible reading plans, I've put this little link at the bottom. There's some that will divide the Old Testament and the New Testament up, so you're reading a little bit of both every day. If you're new to Bible reading, my encouragement is just begin. You won't understand everything at first, but each day you will discover truth in God's Word. And as you continue reading under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible will become more clear. The main point is God's Word is powerful. It doesn't matter as much what order you read the book, but that you do consistently read God's Word. And when you read God's Word, You need to do it with your head and your heart engaged. You can't read like I do when I'm at my mom's house. She has a house on the lake, beautiful, lovely, lounge chairs right down by the water. You go down there and you grab your book, and you think, I'm gonna read. You read the sentence, you read the same sentence, you read the
2: same sentence
1: again, and then
2: you're out like a light. And you wake up,
1: and you can't say one thing you even read. That's not how you read your Bible. You need to read and think at the same time. We're women. We can multitask. You can do it. <laughs> Ask yourself questions. Use a pen to underline things that stand out. Put a question mark next to something you don't understand. Keep a short journal and jot down just one quick thing as a means to help you remember what you read. If you're very familiar with the passage you've read, consider reading it in a different translation so that you don't just scan over the words quickly. I'm also going to go out on the limb and suggest that you read an actual paper Bible. I know.
2: <laughs>
1: reading a paper will help you understand the context of a passage because the before and the after are right there and you don't have to swipe to get to them. <laughs> now please understand, I believe smartphone apps have their advantages. They allow you to read God's Word almost anywhere at any time, instead of mindlessly flipping through your face like me. But I have found great blessings in using an actual paper Bible. <clears throat> in addition to reading... God encourages us to meditate on the scripture. <clears throat> Psalm 1 says, A man who meditates in the law of the Lord will be blessed. The Hebrew word for meditate means to ponder, imagine, speak, or utter. This is not the kind of meditation where you open your mind and say, Om. That's not it. It actually means to focus your mind more on a particular scripture to focus to meditate on God's word is to purposely fill your mind with thoughts and sounds of God's word therefore when you meditate you're going to (coughs) want to read a passage of scripture many times over the more you read it the more you'll think about it read it in the morning and throughout the day read it with your mind engaged Try reading it slowly or write it out. Say it out loud. Listen to it read, and this is where Bible acts are very handy for small children. Listen to it sung, or try singing it yourself. Ponder what each word of the passage says. (coughs) You can use it as a guideline for prayer and the songs are especially useful for (coughs) them. Put the scripture in a place where you will have time to think about it. For me, I will um, print out a passage of Scripture, put it in a Ziploc bag, and tape it to my shower because rarely is there a day that I miss my morning shower. I have another friend that writes it on a card and puts it right above her sink. So as she's doing the dishes every night, she can think on Scripture. So as you're meditating and filling your mind with Scripture, the likely outcome will be that you do, in part at least, memorize that scripture. There are so many benefits to memorizing, and I'm not going to go into all of them. But I do want to tell you that we, in general, are like that first night, and we take granted that we have easy access to the Bible. This is not true around the world in general, or really for us. When we are faced with a difficulty in life, if we have scripture already in our hearts and minds, we can combat the evil ones immediately. I want to share with you very briefly about one of the most difficult times in my life. I was going through radiation for breast cancer treatment in the exact same room that my one-year-old daughter went through radiation in. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. I developed pretty severe burns and lost a lot of my skin. During that time, I was memorizing and meditating on Psalm 139, which says, Do you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your right hand upon me. So as the radiation machine would go around me, I would remember that it was God Himself who had truly enclosed me. And he had laid his right hand upon me. The important thing for you to know is that during radiation I had no access to my Bible. I had to lay and not move. A muscle that even got irritated if I coughed. <coughs> If I hadn't stored God's Word in my heart, my mind would have been an easy target for the lies and fears that come from the devil. You never know when you will be without your Bible, so don't take it for granted. Memorize passages of Scripture so you will be equipped for what God has called you to do. Just like reading plans, there are all sorts of plans you can find to help you memorize Scripture. If I'm going to be honest with you, the most effective way for me to memorize has always been twofold. First of all, pick a longer passage of scripture, entire psalms, entire chapters. And second, memorize with a friend, kids in your life, a Bible study leader. Use memory devices, such as saying things in a rhythm, using hand motions. Or memorizing them to a song. Right now, my kids and I, um, my son is three, up to ten. So those kids, I have ones lower, but we're memorizing James 1, because that's what they're supposed to learn in school. So I'm going to show you just the first part of how we do it to hand signals, hand signs. And I'm not kidding, my four-year-old can do this. (coughs) James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, laughing in nothing. And you will find, as you do that, your muscle memory helps your mind memory. And those motions aren't anything magic. I think some of them are sign language. Yes. Yeah. It can be anything. They don't have to be made up. But it will help you learn. Also, as you're memorizing, talk about the passage of Scripture with others. It will help you be encouraged with the way God is using His Word in your life and also in the lives of other people. So there's a thing on the bottom, fighterverses.com. They have tons of... A scripture put to song. And if you know anything about me, if you can sing it, I might likely learn it. So, it's helpful for me. Okay, so the last means of learning God's word is to dig into the depths of God's treasure chest and diligently study it. (coughs) This is a huge topic, and my goal is not to cover it extensively, as that would be impossible. Mm -hmm. But to get you started on how to dig into God's word yourself. I want to encourage you first to examine your heart. Certainly, there are times when we need to extend God's grace to ourselves because life is crazy and we don't have time to deeply study God's word. At other times, our lack of study is because we don't delight in God's word as we ought or we are intimidated and overwhelmed by the thought of studying God's word. Ask God to give you the time to study, the heart to study, and wisdom to understand His Word. And even if you're in one of those crazy seasons of life and you don't have time to deep study, remember the other primary way of learning God's Word and simply read it with your head and your heart engaged. You can memorize scripture as you are driving. <coughs> so when you study God's Word, it's important to have a Bible translation that is meant to be accurate on a word-to-word basis. A paraphrased Bible, such as the Living Bible or the Message, is meant to help in Bible reading, not saying. So you're going to want to pick a good translation, such as the New American Standard, New King James, or the ESV. It's helpful to have a Bible with cross-references, those little things in the margins, so that you can understand similar parts of Scripture. In my early years of Bible reading, I found them particularly helpful for the Old Testament references that occur in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Study Bibles that have commentary or notes can also be useful, as long as you remember that those notes and commentary are not inspired by God, Mm -hmm. and they may be wrong. So, with your Bible in hand, (coughs) you're going to open it up and dig. And I'm going to demonstrate a technique known as OIA, or Observe, Interpret, and Apply. So if you remember, our first prerequisite to learning God's word is to pray. So before you study, first, pray. Second, you're going to make some observations. Or look at what does the Bible say. And I'm going to run through some things really quickly and trying to take notes. You're not going to get it, so just listen. Okay? You're going to ask questions. Who is it about? What happened? Where did it happen? When did it occur? Why did it happen? If it's noted in the scripture, and how? Look for repeated words and their synonyms because those are often the key to understanding the whole passage. Look for any list or progression. When we read Second Timothy, there was a list of the process of scripture for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Look for those lists. Note any comparison or contrast so if you see a word but, yet, however, or likewise, in the same manner, look for comparisons in scripture. Look for terms of conclusion, thus, for this reason, therefore. Anytime you see any of those conclusion words, you want to look at what happened before. What was the therefore therefore? <laughs> Not creative, but best for this. <laughs> <laughs> also look for words indicating cause: because, since, for this reason. Note words that denote time: after, before, soon, next. And it can be helpful to come up with a key verse or a main theme of your passage. So if you all want to pull out your um, Psalm 1, we are going to go through it. And I know that this is way too small for you all to read, which is why you have a handout. But I wanted it all on one page so that you could get it. And Shane, would you mind reading? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he hopes and in whatever he does he prospers the wicked are not so but they are like chaff which the wind drives away therefore Mm -hmm. the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked shall perish Mm -hmm. okay so in verse 1 And by the way, if you thought you all got to just sit here and listen, you didn't realize that you signed up to be with me, and this is audience participation time. But don't worry, I'm going to teach you like I do my kids at times. So in verse 1, there's a contrast between two different types of people, and as you read the left of this psalm, there's a lot of synonyms. So, what would be, in verse 1, the two types of people? They're highlighted in orange. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Somebody. I know you're sitting in a room of 100 people, and you don't want to be intimidated, but it's in
2: orange.
1: Blessed and wicked. Thank you. You earned the (laughs) gold (laughs) star. Okay. So you're blessed and wicked, and then I just went through and did some of the synonyms. Now, if I was doing this on my own, I would also highlight the pronouns. So, But his delight in verse 2, that his is a righteous. So you would always want to look for your pronouns and mark them appropriately as well. Okay? So now that you've seen, there's two different types of people. The next thing I would do is I would make a column on my sheet of paper. And on one side would be blessed. And on the other side would be wicked, unrighteous, pick a word. And I would list all the things that psalm 1 says about those two people but through the magic of powerpoint ta-da there it is
2: <laughs> so the righteous
1: don't walk in the counsel of the wicked they don't stand in the paths of sinners they don't sit with scoffers they delight in god's law then meditate on god's law day and night 24 7 they'll be like a tree planted by water they'll bear fruit in season Their leaves will not wither. Their actions will prosper. And the Lord knows their way. Now contrast that to the wicked. They give bad counsel. They scoff at God and his word. They're like chaff, which is driven away by the wind. They won't stand in judgment or in the assembly of the righteous. And their way will perish. So that's the next thing I would do. Then I'd also look, I'm not sure how well you can see this, but right here where it says walk is underground, stand, and sit. You're going to look for progressions. Remember lifts or progressions? And that is a progression. Think about it. You walk, then you stand to talk with someone, and then you sit down. It's a progression of being settled with the lift. And then, the next thing, you're going to look for, but, comparison, therefore. So in verse 2, 4, and 6, there's the word, but. It's making a comparison between two things. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In comparison, to right before it, scoffing at God. And in verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. Does anybody want to take a stab as to why the wicked will not stand in judgment? It's right in the verse before it.
2: They'll be driven by the wind.
1: Alright, so now if you were going to cheat, you could open up your Bible and look at Psalm 1. And right across the top, you probably have a title. So, if someone were to give a title, now think about it—it's a comparison between two types of people. Does anybody want to take a stab in the dark as to what a main thought from Psalm 1 would be?
2: <clears throat>
1: two ways to live. Great, Becky. There's two ways to live—a comparison between good, yeah, righteous, righteous versus the wicked, which is actually what's on top of my Bible. <laughs> So yeah, it doesn't have to be worded exactly, but just put it in your head of, this is the main thing that Psalm 1 is about. So after you make your observation, the next thing you need to do is interpret. And in all honesty, some people often skip the observation part and move right to the interpretation part. Don't do that. Interpretation means to look at what does the Bible mean by what is being said in the passage. And I want to cover a few general rules for Bible interpretation. First of all, God's word has clarity. Ordinary people using ordinary means can understand enough to be faithful Christians. The main things we need to know can be clearly seen in scripture, like the jewels on top of the treasure chest. The most important aspects of Scripture may not be understood perfectly, like God's sovereignty, but can be understood sufficiently or enough to live a life of obedience to God. Have faith. God will open your eyes to see the wonderful things in His law. Point number two. Seek to arrive at the objective meaning of Scripture, or what God meant by what was written. When arriving at an interpretation, ask if it's consistent with the theme of the book or the Bible as a whole. Consider the historical and cultural context and never make a verse say what you want it to say. So I pulled out, I could have chosen a whole bunch of these, but I pulled out a few (coughs) verses um, and the first one says this, Luke 4, 7. Therefore, therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Great promise, right? Anybody want to tell me who said it? Satan!
2: <laughs>
1: Make sure you take things in their context. Matthew 7, 1-5 through Do not judge. Let you be judged. For the way in which you judge, you will be judged. And by your standards, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother. It's not that we're not to judge, but that we are to judge in a state of humility. And my next, one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 28. And you know that God causes all things to work together for good. There's another half to that right? verse. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are accord- called according to His purpose. Make sure you take scripture in its context. Number three. Use scripture to interpret scripture. Since the author of scripture is God, and God is wholly without flaw, scripture cannot contradict itself. When you find a passage that has multiple possible interpretations, trust the one that is consistent with the rest of the Bible. Don't base any interpretations on one verse alone, but base it on the whole of scripture to avoid false interpretations. To be honest, there are some areas in Scripture that do see the contradict themselves. Some are very easily explained, others have good possible explanations, and a few have explanations that are yet to be determined, but don't throw out all of Scripture because of a few passages our finite minds cannot trust. Number four, determine carefully the meaning of words. Words we use today like mouth, web, Surf all have different meanings than they did 20 years ago and biblical words are no different. To add to the challenge some words are translated into one word in English. The word translated as love is actually four different words, each with a slight nuance but they're all translated as the word love. So double check the meaning of words. You can use Strong's Bible Concordance, Vines Bible Dictionary, or good old Merriam-Webster, and they are all available online. Another helpful use for your smartphone. Siri. <laughs> what is the definition? I don't suggest using Siri, but you could probably try. <laughs> Number five. Look for the single meaning of the passage. Don't over-spiritualize something, or look for hidden meanings unless the office indicates that there is one. Let the passage speak for itself. This is especially true in the parables or teaching stories of Jesus. Parables have one central point, and unless explicitly stated, don't read too much into the details of the story. And number six, which is probably the most important, interpret with the spirit of humility. God's word is inerrant and infallible. It is perfect, but our interpretations are not. Read, reread, Think and rethink. Be open to correct your earlier interpretations as you gain new knowledge of God's Word. Check your interpretations with your pastor, fellow Christians, good commentary. Have confidence in what God is revealing, but remain teachable that He might be showing you more. Okay, so now we're going to look at Psalm 1 again. And I have highlighted some words that I would personally... Want, double check that I have the right meaning. What does blessed mean? Does that mean I'm happy all the time? What is wicked? Does that mean they're on death row? Meditate, I already gave you, right? Prosper, does that mean whatever I do will turn out perfectly? (laughs) I'm not going to tell you the answers. You can dig on your own. But those are words that you would want to know the meanings to. So, psalms usually have a point, a main point to get across. And I'm not going to ask you and put you on the spot to interpret what Psalm 1 is about. But I'll tell you, um, John Piper says there are four main points to this psalm. There are two kinds of people in this world, the righteous and the unrighteous. There are two destinies. You will either be like chaff or you will be like a tree. There are two eternal outcomes. You're either blessed or you perish. And there are two treatments of God's word. You either delight in it or you scoff at it. So the last step is application. And while there is only one true interpretation, there are many personal applications. So when you apply scripture to your life, you're going to ask penetrating questions about what area or likely areas in your life need to change because of this truth. An acronym I found online might be useful in helping you apply scripture to your life. There you go. Okay. Peace stuff. So here is what it is. P is there a promise to claim? E is there an example to follow A is an attitude to change C is there a command to obey E an error to avoid S sin to confess T truth to speak to self or others E an exaltation of God P a prayer to pray or S something to thank God for so if we were to go through Psalm 1 you could take each one of these and think about how could I apply Psalm 1 to my life is there a promise to claim the Lord knows the way of the righteous is there an example to follow the blessed delight in God's law is there an attitude I need to change oh Lord Let me delight more in your word than in the cares of this world. Is there a command to obey? Now Psalm 1 doesn't have an explicit command. However, it could be inferred that you should be spending time in God's law. Is there an error to avoid (coughs) listening to the counsel of the wicked? Is there a sin to confess? Father, I have approved of what is wicked. I have listened to the counsel of the ungodly. Is there a truth to speak to self or others? There are two destinies in this world. The wicked will perish. Is there an exaltation or lifting up of God's name? God is the one who holds power over both the righteous and the wicked. Is there a prayer to pray? Lord, let me delight in your law. Or is there something to thank God for? Father, thank you for giving me your word as a light to my path. So application leads me to the last part of my talk, which is living God's word. It's not just enough to know God's word, to love God's word. We need to live God's word as evidence that we love God himself. Jesus demonstrated this, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. The devil tempted Jesus with food, power, and glory. And each time, Jesus defeated Satan by quoting scripture. Scripture he had memorized and was hidden in his heart. But not only did he quote scripture, he obeyed scripture. He knew it and lived it. John 14:15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Keeping God's commandments is a heart, head, and body action. We must delight in the right things, think the right things, and do the right things. Living God's word encompasses our whole body. I had a little fun preparing for this talk by doing a little market research, and I asked fellow believers where scripture had changed their lives. And to be honest, I could spend a whole talk going through this. But we don't have time. So I want to encourage you with just a few examples of how many believers have lived God's word in heart, thought, and action to the scriptures and been greatly blessed by it. One friend faced the possible blindness of her newborn son and a pastor shared with her the story of a boy who was blind from birth. And Jesus told the crowd it wasn't the parent's fault. That biblical truth greatly encouraged her and allowed her to not live in guilt, thinking that she
2: caused her
1: son's illness, and it helped her defeat the lies of Satan in her head. One friend, when she was out shopping on a very tight budget, was reminded of Proverbs 31. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Convicted by the non-necessary items in her shopping cart, she put them back and got only what was on her list to honor her husband's request. And I can attest that today, her her husband treasures her greatly. Another friend told me the amazing promise of 2 Corinthians 5.17 in healing from alcohol addiction. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In my own life, God has used Philippians 4.8 over and over again to continually remind me to cling to the truth of Scripture and not face reality on my feelings. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent or worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So in conclusion, Ephesians 6-7 says, says that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So take up your Bible, read it, meditate upon it, memorize it, study it, love it for its divine origin and the power it has in your life, learn to use it effectively, live in joyful obedience to it, love God's Word, learn God's Word, live God's Word.
0: Wow, that was really practical and so helpful. There were so many similar themes that we heard between this week and last week's episode. I'm thinking that we should be out reading our Bibles, right? We got a lot of good, solid teaching from both these ladies. Actually, it's interesting how things continue to roll through these episodes about how important it is to keep the Bible at the forefront of every single thing we do every single day. I mean, it is our guidebook, it's our main source, it is the number one way God speaks to us, so we should not neglect it. I also think it's a really good idea to ask ourselves some questions when we're done reading a passage, like, what does this passage tell me about God? What does this passage say about you and me, and what do you learn about your relationship with God through this passage? What sin do I see in my life that directly is spoken of in this passage? Are you being called to forgive someone, or to pray for someone, or to encourage someone because of this passage? I am such a humongous fan of questions, and I actually think self-evaluation is really helpful when you're reading a passage of the Bible, because as Julie pointed out in the beginning, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.16, and that's pretty powerful, isn't it? It is a hugely powerful passage about the importance of God's word. Hey, let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, I come before you and thank you for each of the listeners who are listening today. I thank you for your word and that this is how you mainly speak to us. I thank you that it is real, that it's alive, and that it's active. I pray that we would read your word daily, that we would love your word, and that we would live your word out in our lives. Help us to apply what we read each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, join us next week as we listen to an interview on another important topic the topic of prayer. It's probably the one thing that most Christian people tell me they could be better at. So join me as I spend time talking with a friend of our podcast on this important topic. Get ready to have a notebook. You're gonna to wanna to write down all the ideas that she shares. And don't forget to join us each week in June and July of 2021 as we do those little book chats with Erica Simpson. They have been so good so far and I know the rest of them are going to be excellent. You are not going to want to miss them. Hey, and remember when everything around you is shaking, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God. Until next time.